Can you sail under the command of a pirate? Can you not? You don't listen to me. This nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. Words are things. We hold these truths to be, be self-evident. Careful that about calling people out of their names. I kept coming back to it, just trying to figure out where in the world we had gone so wrong that it had ended up here. Well, I didn't think you had it in you. I'm your Huckleberry. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Why, Johnny Ringo. You look like somebody just walked over your grave. Fight's not with you, Holiday. I beg to differ, sir. We started a game we never got to finish. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? What we've got here is... And welcome to the Pirate Professor Podcast. Welcome aboard crew. This is your captain speaking. How are you doing today? Hopefully you're doing pretty well. It is a lovely day down around the cabin. I'll be heading down to the boat this weekend. So looking forward to that. Spend a little time on the water and outside under the stars. Kind of flow into the general, gentle, hopefully gentle rhythms of life. The uh, National Oceanic Administration, NOAA, declared today that as uh, they are currently not tracking any tropical problems in the Gulf of Mexico right now, which we are still in hurricane season, and it has been a very busy hurricane season, but as of right now, there is nothing going on, and certainly... On behalf of me and some of my friends, um, hope it stays that way. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of a weird thing for um, sailing in the, in the country right now. So it, it, here's the thing that people don't get that aren't sailors. Like right now, so we're, we've been in hurricane season, and hurricane season technically starts in June and really goes through October technically um, but it really amps up around August and September and that's when you have the majority of them and we've had quite way more than average this year um, I rode out one hurricane on my boat Hurricane Hannah and that was an adventure but we made it through okay um, I've had some other friends that have ridden, ridden out other ones in other parts of the Gulf, but everybody seems to be okay and everything seems to be going 
just fine and dandy. Anyway, it's just a uh, interesting thing that if you grew up around the land and you just you, that's not a thing that you are accustomed to, then it's just not a thing you're accustomed to. Speaking of accustomed to, I'm pretty sure I'm watching a groundhog walk outside my window right now. I've got one that lives around the cabin, and I call it Gus. Gus the groundhog. Um, and groundhogs are pretty stinking cute up front, up close. I don't know if you can tell. It's still, it's, it's, I'm recording this. It's quite a bit of ways away. It's kind of dusk while I'm recording, so the light's not great. I can just kind of see its basic shape without any details, but I think that's what's going on. So everybody say hi to Gus the groundhog. Hey, Gus, how are you doing today? So we are jumping into um, chapter 13. This is for, this particular one is for my, uh, if you didn't see, already see the uh, title, this is for my business and professional speaking class. So, and this is the chapter on persuasive um, presentations. So convincing people to do the things that you want them to do, which is always important as long as you, you know, follow a certain degree of ethical boundaries on how you do that. And uh, so that's kind of what we're, we're going to be talking about today. If you looked at the syllabus, it was actually, we're supposed to be doing chapter 11 now, but I just decided that I'd rather jump to 13 first. Um... Partially because, as I'm recording that, we're, we're just a couple of weeks away from the um, presidential election. And our world is completely inundated with campaign ads of people trying to persuade us to do things. And it helps to know um, the logic behind persuasion and that and that logic goes back a long long time uh, it goes back to the ancient Greeks and we'll, we'll talk about that and this is one of the, <clears throat> excuse me one of the things I'd like, I like I mentioned to people very often is you know we have early students we've been studying science kind of as we know it for you know roughly give or take 500 years I mean post dark ages i mean there was science before that there's different varieties of it but kind of science as we know science really kind of since the enlightenment kicked in and and you know and we can do a lot of really interesting things now but we've really only been studying it for like 500 years we've been studying the art and science of communication for well over 2000 years and that means we're really, really, really good at it. And good communication is very often like like good magic, like a good an illusion. Like you or, or or think about it in terms of special effects in movies. Like if you can't tell it's a special effect, that means it's a really good special effect. And so good persuasive speakers are often like that. And we end up with people that um, we listen to. They're charismatic. They can be all kinds of folks. They can be teachers. They can be preachers. They can be politicians. They can be actors. They can be, they, they're just 
people who have kind of a command of language and people tend to want to believe them. But we're also in this kind of interesting period of time where a lot of people are wondering who to believe and why. You know, should I believe that particular person or that particular news outlet or, you know, that particular politician? Should I believe them or should I not believe them? And so kind of one of the reasons I want to go ahead and jump into this is uh, we're, we're kind of we're neck deep in that world right now. Where a lot of people are trying to convince us of things. And uh, your job is to create a persuasive presentation at the end of all of this as um, students, you know, but that's how you learn how to kind of pick out the persuasive uh, kind of strategies of other people. So we'll, we're going to talk a little bit about that and kind of uh, pick apart kind of the logic behind persuasion, kind of like what it is, how it works, um, what can derail it, um, how you can be better at it, and, uh, and go from there. And uh, I've always found this stuff pretty interesting. I'm going to, you know, and I'm not going to go super deep into this i'm going to keep this conversation on and i to hit the high points and kind of go deep when i need feel like i need to um so you definitely need to read the textbook as well and uh pick out the uh finer details that you know they're good to read but not so much they're not that great just uh for me to ramble on about with they could be better if we had like a conversation like if we were all just sort of sitting around in class talking about it or in the same room around a campfire floating on a boat somewhere whatever so i guess with that said i'm gonna let you listen to my buddy rob and uh as he once again tragically tries to get someone to love him okay be back in a minute sorry so i've been with something uh you know something could Ibriano come to the front of the store, please? Ibriano Michelli. Well, I'm in love with the grocery store girl. She doesn't even know I'm alive. Your brother's here to make you up. It's 12 hours or less or I don't get to see her. So I buy my groceries one at a time. I need a clean-up on aisle 6 through 13. Especially love. Yes, indeed. This especially love is killing me. How can this be? He, he, he. One, two, three, four. Well, I'm in love with the grocery store girl. So I have spaghetti every night. I didn't need that toilet plunger. Check me out so it's alright. Yeah, I need a pressure on some fucking love is killing me. Yes indeed. So 
So let's say that you're in love with the express line girl at the grocery store. Whoever you are, let's say that's your thing. You're desperately trying to get this girl to notice you. To fall in love with you, to run away with you. To look lovingly in your eyes as you buy 12 items or less. How do you do that? How do you be that person? Well, we're going to talk about it, um, sort of. So we're going to talk about persuasion. So what is persuasion? Like, kind of the quick answer people will say was getting somebody to do what you want them to do. Yeah, that's kind of it. You, you know, you persuade someone to go along with an idea. Um, you know, it's your, you got an idea. You know, you, other people may have ideas. But you think your idea is the best idea. And so you want everybody to go along with your idea. And that idea may be, hey, let's go get dinner. Let's go get a burrito, a Taco Bell, or chimichanga, or whatever it happens to be. It, but persuasion, there's things that sometimes it's easier to understand what persuasion is by understanding what it's not. So it's, it's first of all, it's not coercion. Like, if you get somebody to do what you say under the, like, threat of force or sort of intimidation, that's not persuasion. Like, you're not getting them to buy into your idea. You're just getting them to go along with your idea because they're afraid of you or they just don't want to deal with the conflict. That's not really persuasion. That that doesn't buy you social capital with these people. So the idea with persuasion is you want them to go along willingly. You want them to go along with the idea that it's, you know, they believe that this is the best idea. And, and you do that not by just sort of presenting raw ideas. Like, I had a professor when I was in college, and we were... It was a uh, computer coding class, and the professor, he wasn't really trying to persuade us of anything per se, but he was just, he had his back to the class, and he was writing um, like HTML code on the board, and he was just going, this means this, this means this, this means this. 
like this is what you, this is the code you write to get this result this is the code you write to get this result this and that's that was it for an hour straight and i'm thinking this isn't exactly i'm, I'm not really feeling the love here i'm not feeling like this is the thing i want to go along with um he wasn't really persuading me that to feel that this thing was important this was just he was just going through a set of things that i could have just read off the out of the book um persuasion what it is though it's it's arguing for a particular view after you know presenting possible alternatives like it's persuasion is like hey me like i or i and this other person have we, we both have competing ideas and we're going to debate and what we're going to do at the end of this is i'm going to do my best to convince you that my idea is the best idea and i want you to get buy-in for that and if you watch any of the president or the last presidential actually the first presidential debate between trump and biden it just sort of turned into chaos like nobody was really trying to convince you of how good their own particular ideas were they were just trying to tell you how dumb the other guy was and again that's not really present or um persuasion i was gonna say presentation it's not it's not it's it's persuasion is is taking a stand and doing everything in your power that's ethical to convince your listeners that your proposal your idea the thing that you want to do is the best and and going back to the greeks because we're going to talk some about the greeks today is that you know aristotle said that using all the available means of persuasion means you you go across a um and we'll, we'll dive into these a logical a, a logical appeal an emotional appeal and an ethical appeal so three different things and we'll talk about those ethos pathos and logos so you got different kinds of, of uh, presentations, persuasive pres presentations specifically. You've got a uh, presentation to convince, where you want your audience to agree with your way of thinking. Like this is the this these are political arguments. This is like this my idea is the best idea. But then you also the step after that is a presentation to actuate, and and that is like. Not only do I want you to think that my idea is the best idea, I want to convince you to actually take the steps to make it happen. So we're going to put this thing in motion. And these, these things have all kinds of, of uh, uses in the world of you know business. You know, you're making a business proposal. You're trying to convince a potential client that your company or your product is the thing that they need most in this world, the thing that's going to make their life better. These are useful, useful tools. Um, we live in a weird world right now, though, uh, that it's constantly trying to undercut the idea of who you should believe. There's a lot of doubt and cynicism uh, going on in the world right now, and you know, and that. That gets into chaos versus order, which we can, you know, it gets into the world of psychology. Um, you know, and a good narrative is always trying to bring uh, order to chaos. And so sometimes from a persuasive presentation, 
part of your job is to say, look, this is the, this is the chaotic world that you currently live in. This is the thing that's bothering you. You know, and it could be anything. This could be like your skin. It looks terrible. You're nobody likes you, you know, whatever it happens to be like things are wrong with you. We, we orchestrate or illustrate the chaos, how things are not right. And then our product will bring order to that chaos. If you use our product, your skin will look so much better. Your acne will go away. If you're older, it's going to make you look like you have young skin. Whatever it happens to be. We're always convincing somebody. Whatever the thing is, my product will make your life better. My service will make your life better. So the, the three pieces that we will hold to that or goes back to the Greeks. It's logos, which we get our word for logic. It's evidence and logic of the message. And... I mean, we'll break these down here in a bit, uh, but the, you know, it's logic, the Greek word log comes from the Greek word logos. It's, it's the study of orderly thinking. If this is true, then this is true. And then you, this is where you get into argumentation of things like logical fallacies. Like if this is true, then this cannot be true. It gets into that. That gets in the world of philosophy. We're not in philosophy. We're in the world of communication, but I would encourage you to take some philosophy because we're talking no, I mean, we're talking the ancient Greeks right now, and specifically the Greek philosophers coming up with this. Ethos is the credibility of the persuader. And I think this is one that's really important today. Like, I come from a journalism background, and, and whatever you happen to think about journalists today, um, know that there's a, a world of ethics that we follow. Professional journalists do. This is ethos. The credibility. So we get ethos. We also get ethics. It's the credibility of the persuader. And the credibility. This gets into the idea of who was I was talking. Or somebody was talking about COVID the other day. And it was the guy who was saying, a lot of people are like, hey, you should read like this guy. Because this guy has, you know, knows a lot of stuff about this. You know, he, he knows the truth. And I'm always like a little skeptical when somebody tells me they know the truth. And I get skeptical because I know about people who know the truth because I studied philosophy. And we can get into that here in a bit. Um, what you find out is it's hard to even know. Like, okay, I'll just go down this road. Imagine a chair. Just a regular old dining room chair. Four legs, a seat, and a straight back. I don't care if there's cushions on it. There's no, I don't care if there's an armrest on it. I can put that thing up in front of a classroom, and I can say, hey, class, what's this thing? And they're going to go, that's a chair. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. This is a chair. How do you know it's a chair? And they're going to go, well, that's dumb. It's got a seat and you sit on it that makes a chair and i'm like i can sit on a horse does that make it a chair i can sit on the floor does that make it a chair and they're gonna go oh no professor you're so silly those are horses and floors i was like well if i can sit on those things and that's not what makes a chair and then they ponder a bit and they're like okay fine 
it's got a back on it. And I'm like, I have a back on me. Does that make me a chair? And then they're like, okay, you're an idiot. And and so around and around we go. And they, they pick out some particular detail of the chair. It's got four legs. Ah, does it have to have four legs? I've got a, this thing right here doesn't have but two legs. Or, you know, it's a thing where it's got two big legs that take up the entire side or whatever. They kind of look like rails. Is that still a chair? And I was like, but, you know, but it's got four, okay, it's four legs and you can sit on it. It's got a back. And I was like, well, my couch has four legs. I can sit on it. It's got a back. And we just go round and round and round and round. And it really, and the thing is that eventually they pick up on, it doesn't matter what it is that they say. They try to describe either physical properties or the function of the thing. And even though they know it's a chair, none of those things really make it a chair. And that becomes very frustrating after a while. And you can have this little exercise at home and say, what makes that a chair? And then you try to tell, you convince yourself, you know, become the counter argument, become the devil's advocate and say, well, this, has, this is why it's not a chair. And then you'll get frustrated too. And you'll all join us in our mass frustration. And then you have to sit and you have to you have to wrestle with the question. You know, we, we live in this world where we always want answers, but sometimes we need to we need to wrestle with the question. And the question is what's really most important. What is it that makes it a chair? And and so what we end up getting into is what Plato Plato gets into this world of basically we're talking like a perfect realm perfect realm of form. Um and he would say, like, you know, there's, there's sort of basically an essence of chairness. You can identify it, but it's, it's almost outside of the human vocabulary to explain it. You know it when you see it. It's kind of like the Supreme Court once said about pornography. Like, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. So that's where we end up, and we're like, okay, so we, and, and this gets into Plato talks about the allegory of the cave, which I'm actually going to talk about in a different podcast that's going to follow this one, uh, where I talk to Dr. Tom Vaughn, who's one of the tech professors I work with. So if you want to dive down this a little bit more, I'll talk about the allegory of the cave. Um, but we end up getting into this world of this, like, the perfect form, and, you know, kind of what we see is... Or, what we think we see isn't really reality. We see shadows of reality. And that can be pretty heavy to think about. That was a long, drawn-out thing to talk about ethos. Ethos is the credibility of the persuader. And I guess when we get into the realm of forms is when we would talk about how that can fall into question for people. Um, and gets back into the idea of how you know truth. Um... Because the thing I'll tell my students after a while is like, look, if you can't tell me what a chair is, how the hell do you think you're going to tell me what truth is? Think about it. Think about it. So the credibility of the persuader. So one of the things that you notice if somebody's trying to tear, tear down someone who's holding a counter argument to them is they get different kinds of, of um, uh, different kinds of arguments where they don't really attack the idea per se, per se. 
they, they do what's called an ad hominem attack. They attack the credibility of the person rather than the idea. Like the idea may be solid, but if I can convince you that the person giving the idea or the argument is fallible or shouldn't be trustworthy, an ad hominem, ad hominem attack will make you less likely to believe them. Makes sense? Good, it makes sense. All right, pathos. Pathos gets in the psychological needs of the listener. Um, pathos is essentially what we would think about in terms of like um, charisma. Because there's some people that say some crazy ass stuff out there, but the fact that they're pretty charismatic in their speaking, like they're, they're real convincing. Like um, we were talking in the, the one with Tom Vaughn that's, not this episode, but the next one. We're talking about guys like Alex Jones, um, who say some really far out stuff, or like you know, or cult leaders, whoever they, whoever they happen to be. And kind of the idea of a cult is is you get people to follow you like outside the bounds of like normal, like what a reasonable person would do. Like it's it, like their their loyalty is beyond reason, outside of reason. And you see that a lot with the way people will follow political figures these days. Um, you see that a lot with the way people will follow. I don't know. It's just you see that a lot these days, wherever it happens to be. Um, if you get into the book a little bit and you dive in a little deeper, it kind of goes in. It gives you lots of kind of Q&A sort of examples of how these things work. Um in the way that you would give an argument and like when it would be a, like when it's a good idea to present something in this way versus when it's a good idea to present something this way. Um, but in the world of pathos, ultimately the idea is you want the person, people will be willing, more willing to believe something from someone that they find charismatic, someone that they feel like they can relate to. Like this is a person this is a person who gets me like it's, it, you, you feel that sort of kinship to them, this sort of relationship to them, you know, and the interesting thing about that is, is like, they don't know you at all. Like, like I, I've seen that, um, you know, celebrities probably deal with that a lot. People pay attention to absolutely everything that celebrities do. They know all their little, you know, idiosyncrasies, whatever. You know, and so they act like they really feel like they know this person. But that celebrity has no idea that that person actually exists. And so it's sort of this weird one-sided thing going on. All right, so back to the, the idea. Remember when I was, talk, I was just talking about like an ad hominem attack? Um, or someone is attacking the idea. Like one of the things, if you're presenting an idea... Let's say that you just you really you really have a strong feeling about this thing and you present your idea and you know there are other ideas out there that are you know that sort of parallel yours or you know whatever it happens to be. But you don't actually um, you don't bring them up. Like you know there's counter arguments to your idea, but you don't bring them up. That's actually kind of a bad idea if you want to persuade somebody because like just it's what you, you think about some it's called inoculation theory so and, and again you see this a lot in uh, charismatic speakers 
like they'll, they'll be giving you I, their idea and then they'll go but like look these other people these other people are going to try to attack this idea and they're going to try to attack this idea by and they'll, they'll lay out some kind of the count they'll lay out the counter argument and they're like but this counter argument's a bad idea because and then so they'll try to discredit the counter argument and that's that's actually a pretty effective uh, method for persuasion because what you don't want to happen is you give your idea out there but you don't ever mention the counter counter argument and you know then the person sitting around they're listening to whatever and they're listening to somebody else speak and somebody else speaks about that counter argument and then they're like oh well that's a good idea too well so now they're on the fence and so you have um missed your opportunity to uh, basically inoculate yourself it's you know it's basically giving yourself a vaccine or your idea of vaccine against other ideas um and so if you want to maintain your credibility you know and sometimes this is a good idea because if you want to be credible like it's generally a good idea to present the counter argument because it it shows or at least can give the appearance of showing that you don't have bias you can be like here are the two ideas and this is the, i chose my idea or i came up with my idea because you know and here's all the reasons why i think it's the best idea now i've also examined this other option and i can see where it might have a benefit in these places but the reality is it's missing the mark in so many other places that as a result i've come from my logical conclusion because I have used logic, remember, logos. And I have used my own, you know, I've got my own credibility, ethos. And I'm using, you know, pathos. I'm being charismatic to convince you to bring all of these things together. And so, hopefully at the end of the day, you... Uh, you uh you go along with the idea at least that's the hope now the other thing is you have to keep in 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 play is the values of your audience like the golden rule of communication is know thy audience and my rule on top of that is you're going to reach people where they are and not where you want them to be if if you're cold calling a business and you want to sell them a product or service and like they're not interested like it's you're catching them on their lunch break they're not in the mood to listen to you you're going to have to appeal like you're going that's a hurdle you're going to have to get over in order for them to listen to you're going to have to appeal to their values to get them to listen to you and um and uh you know Go along with it. And you're going to do that, going back to your credibility, is you're going to have to identify your own particular competency. You're going to have to prove, you know, your credibility. This is why you should believe me. You know, because um, you, you know what it's like. You know, this is one of the things that uh, people will they'll discount a, a professor if they don't really feel like that professor truly understands like the world that they come from. Like they don't, you like, you don't really, or you, not necessarily a professor, anyone like someone's trying to convince you of something, but you're convinced that they have no idea what it's like to be you. Then there's a higher probability 
that you're not going to listen to them simply because you are convinced that they don't understand your who you really are. They don't understand your real problems, your real, you know, your real complexities. And there's also, you know, the idea of dynamism, uh, dynamism. I'm having a hard time saying that. And that's basically your, your enthusiasm. Like, how convinced are you that you should be, um, like, sell, if you're selling a product and you don't really believe in this product yourself, you're going to be a terrible salesman. Like, I, so case in point, back when I, I was, I sold shoes for a summer when I was in college. And I hated that job. Like, I hated the idea of selling shoes. I was like, these people don't need these shoes, these ridiculous shoes, you know, whatever it was. I absolutely just didn't care. And as a result, like, I didn't sell that many shoes because I didn't really want to sell that many shoes. My, you know, I there was there was no dynamism in my, like, I was not convincing simply because I didn't believe it myself. And so kind of as a result of that, one of the things that you should really understand is if you're going to sell something or maybe like if you're in marketing or if you're going to work in public relations, like you really need to believe in the thing that you're pushing. Like if you don't think, I think Zig Ziglar said uh, something to the effect of like if you don't believe that your client spending their last dollar on your product or service is a good investment for them then you need to sell something else. Like you should really believe in that thing. Um, and part of that is with that belief though, is it also comes in objectivity. Like people need to know that you're not just pushing snake oil. Like you need, like they need to believe that you believe it. Like if you feel like somebody's just, you know, the snake oil salesman, they're just selling you something just to make a buck and they see that, like then they realize that you're not really on their side. And this gets into kind of, again in the world of the politics is and and I guess the way a lot of people look at media is objectivity is like they they if they believe you're pushing an agenda rather than what you would call truth, it's going to be harder. It's going to be harder for them to listen or believe you and go along with you. It's going to be harder for you to persuade them that this is a a good idea. Um, so, all right. And this gets into like, when we're talking about that credibility is we can get into like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And this is actually a fairly important, um, bit of information. It's like, what is it that people really want? And it goes back to like, you reach people where they are and not where you want them to be. So if you're trying to like, one of the things that I, I, I try to tell people a lot when so I, I've done a lot of t uh, spent a lot of time on the border um, covering immigration and I, you know and I, so I've met hundreds and hundreds of immigrants and people coming across and so and I've had lots of conversations and kind of finding out like what makes people tick and what you know why they come why they don't t come and it's, so you get in the the Maslow's hierarchy of needs and it's pretty it's pretty easy to see so you've got psychological needs I'm sorry physiological needs at the very bottom of it. Food and shelter, basic needs. Above, so you got something to eat. You've got a roof over your head. Above that comes safety needs, security needs. Um, you know, are you safe at night? So you have something to eat. 
a roof over your head, but you also feel secure. So those are the two bottom layers. And really some of the um, strongest layers. Then so then you get into like the one above that is social needs. And social needs is like, do you feel loved? Do you feel like you're part of a community? You've got companionship, friendship, these things. The one above that is esteem. Like how how do you feel good about yourself? You know, do you feel like you're doing something? And then finally, at the at the top of the pyramid, or the, like the uh, self actualization, like becoming like the best person, like you you peak out, and like this is the one that a lot of people have a hard time. Like a lot of us will get to like the esteem needs, and then we really have a, a struggle to get to that top layer. And so, like you know, when I'm thinking about working on the border and and folks on the bottom, you know, most of them are really trying to cover the bottom two tiers, like physiological needs and security needs. You know, and if you're trying to make an argument uh, one way or the other about stuff, you know, if you're trying to argue to that group or if you're trying to argue, you know, to people who may not want them around, like like one of the things that I, w- I would tell people, they're like, they just need to follow, because what I would hear is like, well, they just need to do things legally. Well, okay, that's that's true. We'll say that's legally, but it, it goes to a story I would tell you about a, a boy I met from Bangladesh who escaped the country uh, because he didn't want to be forced to work in a gang. Um, and he was basically, if he had stayed at home by what he told me, he would have been killed because he refused to be part of this gang. And so he escaped and sailed, you know, he made it across the Atlantic, he got into South America and then traveled, you know, thousands of miles through Central America, through up through Mexico. And then he got to the fence. You know, in the Tijuana, I think he said the fence was only like about 10 feet tall. And he and he said to me, he's like, you know, after everything I've been through, like everything, like all the things that have threatened me. Like offense doesn't mean anything to me. Like, so for us, we think about, you know, social needs, friendship, you know, following the rules. For him, he's still in a diff- much different layer, layer of, of physiological needs and, and security needs. Like he's just trying to get something to eat and a safe pace, a, sla- a safe place to sleep. And so the standard that he uses to measure his behavior is going to be dramatically different than the standard of someone who already has those layers met. And so sometimes it's hard if we don't, you know, and this is where empathy comes in. We don't put ourselves in that position, you know, and we can, we can use that logic in all kinds of ways. You know, we can use it for, um, Whatever it happens to me that we're, you know, point we're trying to make. But, you know, sometimes we, if you want to be more effective and you want to have more credibility, you really have to put yourself in the position of people um, who aren't you, who may be, um, life may have hit them a little different. Now, the things, you know, 
one of the things that we also have to consider are what we call opinion leaders. We have opinion leaders and opinion followers. Like, the reality is most people don't put together a lot of their own ideas. They they put together what other... They, they latch onto someone that they feel is credible. So going back to all these other things, someone that they feel is persuasive. And it could be a parent. It could be a grandparent. You know, it could be a family member. It could be some sort of other a figure in their life. It could be like a, you know, a teacher or whoever. Whoever it is. Spiritual leader. And so kind of what they do is they, we shortcut stuff because you're like, that person has done all the heavy lifting and I respect that person. So if they have come to that conclusion, then I'm just going to go ahead and go along with them because I trust their opinion. And so that's, that's someone who becomes an opinion leader. And in that case, we become the opinion follower because we follow their opinion and we all do that to some degree. It's just, you know, sometimes we need to make sure that we pick our um, leaders with care. All right, so you've got all this stuff down. You've got your pathos, logos, and ethos. You've got it. You know, you've credibility. You're you're seeing the world through crystal clear eyes. You're reaching people where they are. You know your audience. You've got all of these things. So how do you structure your presentation? I mean, there's no set rule, but there's some things that you need to consider. Like, and, and I'm going to follow along with the book here. So step one. You know, analyze your expected listeners and their needs. So this goes into know your audience, know where they're coming from. You're going to reach, you know, you're going to reach them where they are, not where you want them to be. So if you're talking to a bunch of farmers, let's say, let's just say you're talking about climate change. You got two different, you've got two different folks you're going to deal with. You got farmers on one hand. And you've got a bunch of Wall Street executives on another. You're probably going to talk to them in completely different ways. Um, it's simply because they their worlds are completely different. One, you may, like with the farmers, you may use more like agricultural metaphors. And also these are people who probably know more about the climate than you do, or at least as much. They just may know it in different terms. Um, but they live and breathe their life outside and dealing with the weather. Um, as opposed to somebody who largely spends their time indoors and, you know, climate is just sort of an abstract because they spend most of their time within climate controlled environments. So you have to think about that. So step two, you, you need to know what your purpose is. Like, what is it that you want to accomplish with this presentation? The way I like to tell people is like, what do you want your audience to walk away with? Or what is it that you what conclusion is it that you want them to arrive at? And so then you kind of need to work backwards. You're like, how am I going to get them there? All right. So step three is going back to who you are. It's not just your argument, but who you are. You need to establish that you're someone they need to listen to. So if I was going to talk to a bunch of farmers... And you guys don't know what I'm like, but you know, you don't know what I look like. Mostly, maybe, maybe you do. Who knows? You may be stalking me. I don't know. Like, I'm kind of long-haired, tattooed, hippie-looking dude, right? And a lot of dude, you know, old farmers and overalls may look at me and like that guy didn't know a thing in the world he's talking about. 
long-haired hippie looking dude but when i then relate the fact that i grew up on a farm you know i was driving a tractor by the time i was eight years old and you know i may lead off with a story that really brings me lets them know that i can relate to them much better than i can relate to a lot of other people in the world because i you know and and then that's when you 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 throw in little anecdotes and stories like that really the things that they can relate to and that helps them understand that you relate to them therefore they'll relate to you you then become more credible in their eyes right all right so step four so this goes back into the kind of the same thing you've 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 established your credibility to them now step four is this is where you really need to make sure that you have figured out the best way to present that information to them like again if i'm talking to old farmers you know then i'm going, I'm going to use references that they're going to be able to relate to if i'm talking to a bunch of people who work in an office in a corporate environment i'm going to use a different set of of metaphors and analogies and just stories i'm gonna you know i'm if I'm talking to a bunch of people who lived it, you know, work and breathe, you know, this thing, you know, I may talk about that I've got credibility because I work on a farm, but I'm also going to, or because I grew up on a farm, but I'm also going to talk about how I can relate to the, who they are in their particular world so that I don't become so foreign to them. So I'm credible, but I'm still reaching them. And... So we've got different patterns and different sequences, like a motivated sequence. We've got a criteria satisfaction pattern. You can read about all these things. Like a motivated se uh, sequence, it's, it just follows a few steps. Like you're going to grab their attention first. And then, so you, you, it's a hook. You're going to grab their attention. The thing is, you're going you're gonna to describe the problem. And then three, step three is going to be, you're going to offer a solution to satisfy that problem. And four... Is you're gonna you're gonna visualize like the future by taking you know that what what that step is like you can say like I'm gonna I want you to visualize like this is your problem and this is my solution now if you choose my solution your future could look like this but if you don't choose my solution your future may look like this like and again this is politics right if you vote for such and such the world i mean they will just say the world is basically going to fall apart we're going to devolve into civil war and your children are going to be ugly these are the th you know these are the things that we're going to do or you can vote for me and they're going to be rainbows and sunshine and everyone is going to be able to eat hamburgers and never gain weight and all of these things that we particularly want right right and then, you know, and then the, the final step is that you would, all right, this is the action step and this is how we make it become a reality. All right, well, then we go to step six for your presentation. Is You're going to, you know, you're going to prepare this thing. You're going to prepare your presentation. You're going to make an outline. You're going to create your visual supports. You can do PowerPoint too. You can be one of the cool kids with PowerPoint or whatever it is, your visual elements that you're going to like really try to bring it home for people. And you're going to put all that stuff together. And then, you know, you're going to bring, you're going to bring the pain and you're going to knock it out of the park and I'm use all kinds of other metaphors, how you're going to just do amazing work.
And then hopefully at the end of the day, you're going to be a winner. You're going to make the sale. You're going to, you know, do get the client. You're going to do, you're going to convince, you know, that person to do that thing that's going to make their world better. You know, in whatever form that takes. It doesn't necessarily have to be selling something. Uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be selling a, a product. You know, you could be trying to convince them of an idea. And ideas are important. Ideas are worth selling. Or, you know, worth, worth persuading people. So, what do you want to do to make the world better? Hmm? That is going to be your assignment for the week. And uh, I want you to create a persuasive presentation on how to make the world a better place. What would you do if you could change the world and make it better? Pretty sure that's how Pay Up Forward started. So whatever, yeah. Well, I, you know, I just realized that after that. But you know what? I'm I'm gonna go with that logic. And so yeah, we're gonna do that. You'll find that particular assignment on Blackboard. And I'm really interested and curious to see what your presentations are gonna be on what you're gonna do. Persuade me. Make it happen. All right, I'm going to wrap this up and close this out with my, once again, my buddy Rob McCormick. You can find him online or playing around town, simply known as some guy named Rob. We'll see you next time. Oh, and by the way, we only have one more chapter to cover, and then we're done. Done for the semester. All right? Peace out. One, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six.
When you 